Uh, we're going to jump right into the Word this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 7. I've got good news for you. We finished Matthew 6, so that's, that's great. We're moving. We're making progress. Uh, you know, we're in this series in the Gospel of Matthew, and within that, now we're into the what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that, that Jesus preached on how to live as one of his followers. So that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And as we made it now into chapter 7, the final chapter, I was curious. I thought, well, when did we even begin the Sermon on the Mount? When did we start Matthew 5? And so I looked it up, and it was the first Sunday of January as uh, when we started Matthew chapter 5. And I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, these are the words of Christ. And he's teaching us how to live and so if we're going to move slow through any part of Scripture, this is definitely the place to do it. And what I found, I hope you found as well, is that this has been exceedingly uh, rich in helping us as, in our walk with the Lord and, and how he calls us to live as his followers. And so, uh, in fact, as you look at the end of Matthew chapter 7, what Jesus sums up his sermon by saying is that if you hear these words of mine and do them, you will be like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And so the question really is, whose words are we going to live by? We're going to, we're going to follow something, you know, as, you know, uh, <coughs> quoting Bob Dylan here in the first three minutes, as Bob Dylan famously saying, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to follow somebody. You're going to follow somebody's words. And, and if uh, you only follow yourself, uh, you are the most impoverished of all because, um, you know, I won't go into that. But anyway, so we're going to follow somebody. It might as well be the Lord Jesus. And so he gives us here these words. These are the words to live by. And again, I, I just have to stress that uh, these are the words that Jesus gives to his people, his followers. This is not how we are made right with God. We are not made right with God by living the right way. We're made right with God through what Christ has done for us. And so it's not that by living this way you will be right with God. No, it's only through faith in Christ that we are reconciled to God. But now that we are reconciled, now that we have been saved and forgiven and set free and being redeemed and restored. How then should we live? And these are those very words that we are to live by. Now, if you haven't looked already, some of you have already looked at what we're going to be reading today. But this morning, I think we're looking at the second most popular verse in the Bible. Of course, the most popular verse is John 3.16. I think just about everybody knows that. But here, Matthew 7.1 I think is a very close second, especially in our day. You know, in generations past, I think probably Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That was probably the second most famous passage in the Bible. But I think in our day and age, uh, definitely Matthew 7, 1 has surpassed that, if not even eclipsed John 3, 16 as the most famous verse in the whole Bible. Now, before you look at it, if I say Matthew 7, 1, do you know what that verse says? 
You, you might not be able to pull it up like you could John 3.16 or Psalm 23 in your mind. But I guarantee you, as soon as we read it, you will know exactly what verse we are talking about. In fact, I would go as far to say that this verse, Matthew 7.1, is the most misused, misquoted, and abused verse in the whole Bible. I've had more people misquote this verse to me than I can remember. And so we're going we're gonna to deal with it. We're going to walk through it. We're going to see how we're to rightly obey it. And, and some false ways that this verse is applied uh, really to people's detriment. And so we're going to try to avoid, avoid those pitfalls as we get into it. So Matthew chapter 7, we're looking at verses 1 through 6 today. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. These are the words of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would press these words deep into our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to avoid the different pitfalls that there are in misunderstanding this verse, that you would help us to to have the proper understanding and the proper context and that we would rightly apply it to our lives. Lord, that we would not be hypocrites like uh, you describe here, but that we would be genuine, that we would be real, that we would be true followers of you. Lord, help us to have understanding this morning and to live for you and to live for your glory as we live in the world that you made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're talking about judging others this morning. And just as this was an issue that Jesus saw in his day, and as he looked out and, and he, he saw what was going on, he, he felt like he needed to address it. I believe it's also an issue that we need to address here in our day. What do you think? Now let me ask you this question. As I read this verse, this passage this morning on judging others, did any of you have somebody pop into your mind and you thought, you know what, I really wish they could be here this morning. They really need to hear this this passage. Did any of you have that happen this morning? If you did, then you definitely need to hear this verse this morning. Amen. To judge, what does it mean to judge? To judge is to decide or to distinguish, to draw a conclusion, to put on trial, to condemn or even to punish. Judging is to decide, to distinguish, to draw a conclusion, to put on trial, to condemn and even to punish. Now this is a very big topic in the New Testament. In fact, it's mentioned nearly 80 times in our New Testament. And of these 80 times, I find at least seven 
ways, seven, seven different kinds of judgments that are being talked about. And so for us to properly understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand the seven different kinds of judgments that this word judge is used in the New Testament. I'm going to move through these quickly here this morning. The first is a hypocritical judgment. A hypocritical judgment. This is looking down on others. This is thinking that you are better than others. Judging like a hypocrite, this is having a, a log in your eye when someone has a speck in their eye. The first one, a hypocritical judgment. The second one is the personal judgment. Making personal judgments. This is on what, what looking at what's going on in the world or looking at what's going on in your life and making a judgment on what is right and what is wrong. What is true, what is false, what is good, what is evil? And of course, we as Christians, our standard for making these kinds of judgments is not our family history, is not tradition, is not the culture, is not even the laws of the land. Our standard is what? The Word of God. And so when I'm talking here about personal judgments, I'm talking about the way you live your life and, and making judgments upon what is sin and what is not on sin issues. And of course, we have the Word of God that uh, directs us in that. The third is convictional judgments, your personal convictions. These are, are things that you will make judgments on what is right for you, what is right for your family. And these are not necessarily sin issues, but they're nevertheless things that you must make judgments on. So what would those, some, some of those be? Certainly your diet would be one. Where you would say, well, I'm going to eat this kind of diet. You, you, you then don't hold everybody else to that standard. Uh, entertainment would be another one. How you celebrate the holidays or if you celebrate holidays. How you observe the Sabbath. Again, these are all issues of personal conviction, convictional judgment. Yes, they're important. But just because you come to one conviction and somebody else comes to another, these are not sin issues. Nevertheless, you're making judgments on them. You're deciding, you're distinguishing, you're drawing a conclusion. The fourth would be corporate church judgments. Well, what are those? Those would be issues within the church where the church leadership must get together and make a decision on something. Make a decision on uh, how, how the church is going to function, how the church should operate, even how to deal with sin as it arises within the congregation. These are church corporate judgments. We're going to look a little bit uh, deeper in this one uh, later on today. There's the fifth, which is magisterial judgments or the judgments that the state makes where the, the state is... It, uh, directed in scripture in Romans 13 that they are to punish evil and reward good. This is the job of the ma magistrate, the, the jobs of governors and, and senators and congresspeople to pass laws and the job of judges to judge. The Bible has something to say about how that ought to be done. Number six is there's God's judgments. And specifically, I'm, I have in mind here the way God judges his people. Disciplining them in this 
life. And number seven, the New Testament talks about the final day of judgment. God's final judgment where we will all stand before him on that last day. So again, 80 times in the New Testament, the Bible talks about judging. And, and from what I can tell, it's talking about it, and it uses it in these seven different ways, in these seven different categories. Now, which one of these do you think Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 7? It's the first one. It's the first one. It's this hypocritical judgment. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, because Jesus right here says, don't be a hypocrite. Verse 5, you hypocrite. So he's, he's talking about a hypocritical kind of judgment. What is a hypocrite? Let me tell you what a hypocrite is not first. A hypocrite is not someone who holds to high standards but falls short. Sometimes that's our definition of a hypocrite. Someone who falls short of high standards. Listen, we all fall short. We all fall short. But that doesn't mean that we're all hypocrites. Because if, if, if what Jesus is saying here, don't be a hypocrite, means never fall short, well, we all do that. So it, it doesn't mean that you hold to a high standard, but you fall short. We all have a high standard. We all fall short. That is not what being a hypocrite is. However, what being a hypocrite is, is when someone uses religion to cover the fact that they do fall short. That is a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who hides the fact that they fall short. A someone who doesn't admit to the fact that they fall short, that they sin from time to time. A hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask. In fact, that word, it originally comes from an actor who would play a part in a play. That's where that word comes from. And so Jesus here is saying, don't put on a mask. Don't try to fool everyone into thinking that you're someone who you are not. Don't do that, Jesus says. In fact, Jesus' teaching on hypocrisy is one of the major themes in Matthew's gospel. He addresses hypocrisy 13 times in Matthew's gospel. It is one of the major themes. And so we've seen already in Matthew chapter 6, he dealt with hypocrisy in praying. He dealt with hypocrisy in giving. He dealt with hypocrisy in fasting. And in all three of those, in praying and giving and fasting, he was addressing people who were praying, giving and fasting so that others could see them and think thoughts about them that weren't accurate. Basically, people using praying, giving, and fasting to make themselves look holy, to make themselves look righteous, to put their good works on display, especially to hide the fact that they were sinful people. And so Jesus is saying, we, we don't do good things to be seen by others. You'll recall Jesus saying, if you do that, you've already received your reward. Now here Jesus applies the same concept of hypocrisy to judging others. 
to judging others. The Apostle Paul says something similar in in Romans chapter 2, if you'll flip over there with me quickly. Stay here in Matthew 7 because we're going to come back here. But Romans chapter 2, Paul addresses the very same thing. In Romans chapter 1, Paul outlines how all of humanity is sinful. How all of humanity has fallen away from God, has uh, rebelled against God. And then in uh, Romans chapter 2, he deals with this issue of hypocrisy. After showing the sinfulness of humanity, in Romans chapter 2 verse 1, he says this. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you judge the practice, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know, he says, that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard An impenitent heart, you are soaring up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul here is essentially teaching the very same thing that Jesus was. Don't judge others when you yourself are doing the very same thing. Don't go around looking for specks small sins in other people's lives when you yourself are exceedingly sinful, are living in sin. Jesus puts it this way, going back to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 2, he says, For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. It's the same with, with the judgment you use, it will be turned back on you. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Let me give you some examples Let me make this exceedingly practical for you this morning. Here's an example. You have moral outrage, moral outrage at at some of the the things that we're seeing in our culture. Let's pick one that's really easy to, to get outraged over. Drag queen story hour. Moral outrage. You are indignant. You are incensed. And yet you are addicted to pornography. You practice the very same sin. Theirs is public and yours is private. And so you say, how dare they? Look at them. How awful. And then you go to the next tab over and you have the very same filth that you yourself are ingesting. You're a hypocrite. Don't do that. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Let me give you another example. If that didn't ruffle you up enough. (laughs) You are in an adulterous relationship. 
but you judge your friend for going to see a rated R movie. How dare they? Don't, don't they know? They're going out and, and, and there could be other people that see them there. And all the while you have this secret thing going on. Picking out specks in other people's eye when you have a log in your own. How about this? You malign and slander others behind their backs. But when someone offers you a public critique, you come unglued. How dare they? Yet all the while you're constantly bashing people behind their backs. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Dealing with logs, dealing with specks. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Now here Jesus is touching on an all too common human tendency. And that is this, we excuse ourselves while holding others accountable. We excuse ourselves while holding others accountable. We make excuses for our sins. And yet we condemn others for their sin. This is one of the ways that we try to deal with our guilt. Because when we sin, we feel that weight of sin. Especially when we're sinning willfully. Under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, nevertheless we continue in sin. Well, what do we do with that? We have that guilty conscience. One way, a very typical way that human beings try to deal with this weight of sin, deal with guilt, is by looking down upon others. And when we do this, hear me, it does provide a temporary soothing to our guilty conscience. It provides that, it helps us not to feel so bad about ourselves and to feel so bad about our own sin. Because if I can direct my moral outrage at somebody out there, all of my energy and efforts go out there and it helps me to forget the fact that I am living in sin myself. Holding others accountable for their own while excusing yourself, it's how you deal with your guilty conscience. It provides that temporary Soothing, it's like a painkiller. It doesn't deal with the cause of the problem. It just temporarily numbs you to the pain. It's like in, in the hospital, you, you hit the morphine drip. It doesn't cure your cancer that's eating away at your body. It just helps you not to feel bad for a little while. But pretty quick, it wears off. Pretty quick. All the while, the, the cancer of sin growing in your heart and growing in your life. The Apostle Paul teaches, he says, don't compare yourselves with yourselves. Don't compare yourself to others. This will only produce disastrous effects in your own life. Because no matter how often you hit the morphine drip, if you don't deal with the cancer, it's going to kill you. Amen. It's going to eat you up from the inside. You might temporarily be able to numb the pain. But you've got to deal with the root sin. And here this is, this is Jesus getting to the heart of the matter. 
It's so common for us as, as human beings to focus on, on the actions, what people do, what we can see, what we can hear, to, to, to see the sinful actions of others, all the while excusing the sin in our own hearts. Jesus is here is getting to the, the heart. And, and notice, which one does Jesus say is bigger? The, the sinful actions of others or the sinful heart of the hypocrite? Well, he calls one a speck and he calls the other a log. I don't know if you need me to spell that out for you. Logs are bigger than specks. And so the, 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 the sinful hearts and the sinful thoughts and the sinful attitudes that, that we have and that we indulge in, those are the bigger sins. Those are the greater sins. Those are the sins that are the most dangerous because they can go undetected. Let me ask you this. Which is more dangerous? A gaping cut or a growing cancer? What's the growing cancer? You, you see the cut. It can be dealt with. But the cancer that's unseen, that's undetected, and so Jesus uses this verse, he uses this, this teaching to essentially hold up a mirror, to, to give us an MRI, to, to give us a scan of our hearts. Is there hidden sin? Are there hidden attitudes of judgment towards others that you are pronouncing to hide the sin, to, to dull the conviction of the Holy Spirit of the sin that is in your own life? This is the sin of self-deception. It is so pernicious. Yes, there are visible sins. We can, sin, we can see people committing sins, call them sins of the hand, the actions. But there's also the invisible sins of the heart, your attitudes, your thoughts, your desires. The, the actions, they're, they're just the speck, the heart. That's the log that Jesus is talking about. And there's only one answer for sin. And the, the, the answer for sin is not be less sinful. That's not the answer for sin. The answer for sin is not be less sinful than your neighbor. It's on a, you know, a sliding scale. If, as long as, you know, it's like when you're approaching a yellow light and you're like, well, as long as I'm not the last one through, I'm good. Anybody else think like that? You're coming up to a yellow light and you kind of look around. Okay, this guy's going to go. He's going to go behind me. I'm going to go anyway because if anybody's going to get caught, it's him and not me. Heaven is not that way. It's not just, you know, don't be the most sinful person and you'll just kind of squeak in like a yellow light. No, that is not how this works. So the answer for sin is not be less sinful than your neighbor. The answer for sin is to take it to the cross of Christ. To take your sin to Jesus in repentance and lay it at his feet and lay it at the cross and look to him in faith and confess your sin to Christ. To pray and to ask him to help you to overcome your sin. That is the answer. That is the answer. Amen. A while back... Uh, I had made a mistake. Anybody ever make a mistake? Just trying to connect with everybody here this morning. 
Anybody ever make a mistake? Yes, of course. I made a mistake. Shocking, I know. And this was, this was I, I had failed in one of my pastoral duties. And I was beating myself up about it. And I, I was sort of just in this, I was having a pity party, as my grandma used to say. This self-loathing. I, I, was, I was just very upset about this mistake I had made. I, I, had, I had failed. And so I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was telling him about what had happened. I was telling him about my guilt. I was telling him, you know, sharing my shame with what I had done, how I had failed. And he, he said a line, he said a word to me that set me free. And he said, the good news is that God will even forgive that sin. And it wasn't until he said that that I realized that what I was calling a mistake was really a sin. And that when it was a mistake, I had no way to deal with it. All I had was remorse and regret. But when he helped me to see that what I was calling a mistake was actually a sin... I knew what to do with that. I, I could deal with that. I could take it to Christ. And when you take it to Christ, there's forgiveness. There's healing. There's wholeness. There's restoration. And, and there's now therefore no condemnation. And so oftentimes we, we, we mislabel things. We mislabel sin as mistakes, failures, faults, even you can call it your personality. Well, that's just my personality. No, you're sinful. No, you're a gossip. No, you're a hypocrite. No, you're angry. No, you, this is sin. Stop relabeling sin. Because if it's in that other realm, you can't deal with it. But if it is sin, you can take that to Jesus. You can leave that at the cross of Christ and walk in freedom and wholeness. So, Jesus is dealing with these sins of our hearts, this hypocrisy. And what he says here, I want you to notice something. He says, verse 5, Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite. Man, Jesus is a fiery preacher, I just have to say. You hypocrite, first take the log... Notice here he's, he's doing a progression. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. What Jesus here is saying is you need to deal with your own house before you start worrying about what's going on in your neighbor's house. And likewise, you need to deal with your own heart before you start worrying about what's going on in somebody else's heart. Now, this is not to say that you will never find yourself in a position to make those kinds of judgments. But it's an issue of what comes first. What comes first. 
and the log in your own eye, it prevents you from judging rightly. The log in your own eye, it robs you of the proper perspective with how to righteously deal with another person's sin. Now, there are some dangers in how to apply this text. And there are some dangers here that I want to talk about this morning. The first danger, of course, is very obvious. That's being a hypocrite. Well, don't do that, okay? Don't be a hypocrite, Jesus says. That's where there's the cancer growing in your own heart and you don't deal with it. No, no, no. That, we're going to deal with our personal sin. We're going to take it to Jesus. We're going to find freedom. We're going to walk in holiness. Amen. Amen. So, so we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to put on a mask. We don't want to pretend that we're people that we're not. We're going to confess our sins one to another. We're going to pray with one another. And we're going to find healing. That's the one danger of being a hypocrite. The other danger is exceedingly prevalent in our world today. And it's another extreme. And it's the misapplication of Jesus' words. And that is this. The other danger is refusing to make any kind of judgments about anything. That's the other danger. The other danger is to simply read here the first two words, judge not. And make that the operating principle for your whole life. In every area, in every sphere, in every interaction. And to, to misapply this into situations and circumstances where this passage does not apply. Jesus here is talking about personal relationships... He's talking about our interactions with others. And he's talking about our heart attitude towards people who are in sin. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But he is not talking about your personal judgment in your own life as you search the scriptures and see what is sinful and what is good. And you choose as a person to say, I will not do what is evil and I will do what is righteous. Jesus is not talking about that. Jesus is not talking about the judgments of your convictions where you say, well, this is how God has dealt with me and therefore this is how I will live. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about uh, the church leadership dealing with sin in the body. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. From time to time, the church leadership, the eldership, we have to come together and say, okay, th this sin is here in our body. How will we deal with this? Let me show you an example of this. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's so important that we get this because when we refuse to make any kind of judgments about anything whatsoever, we allow the cancer to continue to grow. Because if, if you just say judge not and make that the operating principle, you don't even read the rest of what Jesus says there, as is so common in our day today, you will then look at yourself and say, well, Jesus said not to judge, so I'm not even going to judge myself. I'm not even going to look at the contents of my own heart. And you allow the cancer to continue to grow. 
It's disastrous. It's dangerous. Jesus uh, and Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's writing to this church and there's sexual, there's sexual sin within the church. And it's not private, it's public. Everybody knows about what's going on. And instead of the church leadership dealing with it, addressing it, they're all celebrating it. They're saying, isn't the grace of God wonderful? That, that we, we can even live in sin and God's grace just covers it. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now the church leadership, it is our job when we see this to step in to try to bring someone to restoration, to restore them. That's the whole point. To, to address the sin and to go in like a surgeon and to remove the cancer. To apply the word of God in the power of the spirit so that we can confess our sin, that we can repent of our sin, that we can take it to the cross of Christ and we can live a life of freedom. That's the point. The church was not dealing with this. They were not addressing this. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9, Paul here, he says, I wrote to you in my letter. He's referencing a previous letter he had written them. Not to associate with sexually immoral people. That's what he wrote in his previous letter. Now they were confused about what he said, so he, he has to clarify. So he clarifies in verse 10. He says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So Paul, he writes him a letter. He says, don't associate with those in sexual immorality. Well, they hear that as, I, I, we can't associate with anybody living in sin at all. I guess we're all supposed to be monks. I guess we're all supposed to be Amish. We'll just go out into the country and set up our own little commune somewhere so we won't be tainted by the sin of the world. Paul writes to them and says, no, that's not what I'm saying. Because if, if that's what I was saying, we would have to do that. But no, that's what I'm saying. And in verse 11, he brings clarity. He says, I am now writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, or a swindler. So he's saying here, I'm not telling you not to associate with the people in the world. That's how they live. We're, we're going to have to interact and, and be friendly and fellowship, and not fellowship, but have relationships with people like that. But he's saying, if they claim the name of Christ, if they claim to follow Christ, if they say, I am a Christian, but they're having sex with their girlfriend. Paul says, you as a Christian are not to associate with them. Amen. Why? Well, that seems kind of harsh. Because you're trying to bring them to a point of repentance. You are trying to convince them of the seriousness of their sin. What does the Bible say about sin? 
play around with it, dabble in it, have a good time with it, just as long as it's not too much or really bad? Is that what the Bible says about sin? No, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin is cancer. Sin is cancer. And if I know someone has cancer, I'm not just going to pretend that they don't. If it's eating them up inside and I know it's going to kill them, it's wrong for me to tell them, you're okay, everything's fine, let's just all pretend like it's no big deal, maybe one day it'll just fall off by itself, I don't know. That's not how sin works. The wages of sin is death. And we're not just talking about physical death, which we will all experience. We're talking about eternal damnation. And what Paul here is saying is don't, don't, don't trade the temporary fellowship of this life and, and peace in this life for the, the, the peace and the fellowship of all eternity. Don't, don't just sort of smooth things over here, but then they go on to judgment for all eternity. He's saying deal with it now so that they might find repentance and grace in the cross of Christ. You see, because here's the deal. If you are truly converted, if you are truly born again, it's not that you will never sin, but hear me in this, you will not live a prolonged, consistent lifestyle of sin. When you sin, you will repent. When you sin, you will take it to Christ. You may even go on a bender. You may even have a bad year. But trust me, if you are truly converted and filled with the Spirit of God, you will come back to him. And hear, hear this. And we, as the body of Christ, have a role to play in bringing brothers and sisters back to the Lord. And so Paul here says, don't associate with anyone who calls themselves a Christian if they're living in open rebellion against Christ. And look at this. Do not even eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? That's people outside the church. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Verse 13. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, what is the sin that's being talked about here? Earlier in the passage, he talks about that there's someone in the church, a family, where the father, the mother, and the son are coming to church, but both the father and the son are sleeping with the same woman. And everybody knows about it. Paul says, this is a cancer. This sin will spread even within the body. You must remove them from the fellowship. You must remove them from the church. Excommunicate them. If they will not repent, you have to remove them. They do this, and then the brother repents, which is awesome. And then the church won't let them back in, which is not awesome. So Paul has to write them in 2 Corinthians and say, Remember that guy you kicked out and now he's repentant? Uh, you got to let him back in now. The point is always in this, to bring people to restoration in their walk with the Lord. 
That is the point. But it's not that we will never make judgments about anything. It's that we will not look down upon others who are in sin while we ourselves are practicing the same sin. That is what Jesus is talking about. And so when we misapply this, well, who am I to judge? You know, we all have to just do our own thing. It's disastrous. We, we, have, we have that sort of attitude happening at the governmental level right now. Well, you know, who are we to judge? You're a judge. It's your job. And then what's really dangerous is we, 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 we extrapolate this attitude even to God. Well, you know, God's not going to judge me. God would never do that. I was talking with uh, somebody uh, recently, and I was talking about um, that God will bring judgment upon those who persist in their sin and who reject Christ. And this person, I, I mean, he, he said, no, 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 I have to stop you right there. He said, God doesn't judge people. I said, uh, brother, have you read this book? I mean, it's kind of... He said, no, God poured out all the judgment on Christ. And so God, Jesus has been judged for all sin, and so therefore we just can live however we want. And so it's, it's misapplying, it's misinterpreting uh, this passage. It's very dangerous. And then you begin to even think that there won't be a final judgment. And that's not what the Bible says at all. So in closing today, some points of application. What do we need to do? Number one, we need to stop looking down upon others. We need to stop thinking that we're better than others in our heart of hearts. We need to stop passing judgment in that way in a hypocritical manner. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. In Romans 7, 18, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. We need to remember in everything there but for the grace of God go I. So in our heart attitudes, as we will interact with people who are living in sin, we must constantly make sure that we are not being a hypocrite, that we are not looking down upon people, that we are not shaming people for the very sins that we are nursing in our own hearts. Number two, we need to deal with the sin in our lives, both the logs and the specks. We need to deal with our sinful actions. We need to deal with our sinful hearts. And we do that by taking it to Christ, by practicing repentance, by being quick to repent when we sin. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a 180. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance is a change of thought and action. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, all of the Christian's life is one of repentance. If you have not repented this week, you need to repent, okay? It is constant. If we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, if we're walking with the Lord, we will constantly be find ourselves being convicted of things that we are doing, things that we are saying, attitudes of the heart, thoughts of the mind. Actions that we've done, you say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to walk closer with you. All of the Christian's life is one 
of repentance. So we need to deal with both the logs and the speck in our own eye. That's number two. Number three, point of application. If a brother is caught in sin, we need to utilize the means God has given for healing and restoration. What is that? Well, number one, we begin with prayer. We need to pray for them. Start with prayer. Lord, move in their heart, move in their life. Lord, touch them, convict them of sin. Number two, you need to ask yourself, do I, am I seeking their restoration or am I looking for retribution? Am I seeking restoration or am I looking for retribution? Am I looking for them to be punished? You also need to study Matthew chapter 18. I don't have time to go into it today, but it outlines the pattern of dealing with sin as a believer. Matthew chapter 18. You also need to take courage and put your confidence in God and put your confidence in God's word. And believe in God's word and, and, and as you go to address the person. Again, there's a place for us to do this. There's a way for us to do this. Where we in humility go to them and say, you, you, your, your lifestyle doesn't match your profession. I'm not coming to you to condemn you, but I'm coming to you to call you to Christ. And you need to take courage. You need to put your confidence in God and his word. You need to read Matthew 18 that teaches you how to do this. And you need to ignore the voice of the enemy that says it won't do any good. You need to speak the truth in love. You need to seek to serve them as a brother or sister in Christ. Seek their restoration. Seek their healing. Seek them to be set free. Not standing over them as a judge, but coming alongside them as a brother and a sister because you love them, because you care for them, because you know that the wages of sin leads to death. We also, number five, no, number four, I don't know how this list is crazy. Number four, we must practice forgiveness. We must practice forgiveness when we are sinned against. No matter what sin has been done to us, we are commanded to forgive one another. If we harden our hearts in unforgiveness, guess who has the log in their eye? If someone sins against you and you refuse to forgive them, you have the log. They had the speck. Unforgiveness is a prison. Unforgiveness is sin. And that sin, hear this, opens the door to the enemy working in our lives. So if we have been sinned against, we must practice forgiveness. Number five, we need to live in, the, in light of the final day of judgment on the last day. We need to remember that. It's not our job, it's not our job to punish sin. God is the ultimate arbiter of justice. And whatever sins go unpunished in this life, hear me in this, God will deal with them. And finally, some of you thought I forgot this verse, but I didn't. Matthew chapter 7, it ends with this, or this passage, verse 6, it ends with this verse. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs 
lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What's he talking about here? How does this have to do with what we're talking about? Jesus here had just said, get the log out of your eye and then you can deal with the speck in their eye. But then he starts talking about dogs and pigs. When he's, when he's using that, he's talking about the unbeliever. And he's saying, don't go and try and clean up the unbeliever. It's not going to work. That's casting your pearls before swine. Don't do it. It's going to be trampled underfoot. You cannot clean up the unbeliever. You can share them the gospel, but Jesus is the only one that scrubs us down. Don't go to unbelievers and treat them like believers, expecting them to live a holy life. They're not going to receive it. In fact, they cannot. And they're going to turn the tables on you and they're going to attack you. But we can share the good news with them. We can share how there is hope and freedom and forgiveness of sin by trusting in Christ. And so there will be times in our lives where we are called upon as a brother or sister in Christ, possibly within the church body, to to speak to believers who are in sin. And we must do it in such a way that we are not hypocritical over them, thinking ourselves better than them, but we go in a spirit of humility. We go in a spirit of love. We go in a spirit of grace. And we go because we know that sin is like cancer. It's never isolated. It never just stays there. It grows and it infests every area of life. And part of the ministry of the body of Christ is to be those voices that help people see the seriousness of sin and help, bring, help, help people bring that to Christ so that they can be forgiven, set free, restored, and redeemed. Amen? And so what we all must do is we all must bring our sin to Christ. And there is where we will find forgiveness. We bring our public sins. We bring our private sins. It is here at the cross that all sin is dealt with. So I invite you to stand with me uh, this morning. I invite the worship team uh, to come, the ushers to come. I'm going to prepare in this moment to take the Lord's Supper together. This is where we deal with our sin. We're reminded of the Lord's sacrifice. We're reminded of the price that was paid for our sin. We're reminded that Jesus died and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. We're taught in this moment before we come to the table to pause, to examine our hearts, to ask the Lord, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Lord, I repent. Lord, I give it to you. Lord, forgive me. This is that moment right now where we do business with God. And the great news of the gospel is that in that place, God meets us. God doesn't meet us where we're all cleaned up, where we're all looking great. No, God meets us as that broken down, poor beggar. God meets us as that prodigal son who ran away 
and has come home and he wraps us in his arms and he kisses us on his face, on our face, and he forgives us of our sin. And he gives us a new robe and he gives us his righteousness and, and there's grace and there's grace and there's grace. And so as we come to the table this morning, there is no condemnation. There is conviction, but there is no condemnation. The difference is condemnation sends you out there. Conviction says, come here, come here, my son, come here, my daughter. Let, let me deal with it. Give it to me. Let's work on it. Let's go through. Let's walk together. And so God is calling you today. He's calling you to come, to lay your sin at his feet, to look to him in faith, and to walk out forgiven, restored, healed, and redeemed. Father, we thank you for your word. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that our sins, though they are many, though they are like scarlet, that they are forgiven because you died, shed your blood, and you rose again. Lord, as we come to the table, we come in faith, not trusting in our own works and our own righteousness, which are as filthy rags, but looking unto you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.